0: Hi. Welcome to Episode 20 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the list of issues that seem to be driving FX this week and may continue to do so for the rest of 2021. We will tackle five of the most important political and macro developments. The title for this episode is Q4 Laundry list.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Steven's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities.
0: We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com globalexchanges. Thanks for joining us.
2: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries.
1: Thanks for the intro, Greg. What I normally do is I start with a quick run-through. So here it goes. It's September 28th, 2021. We're getting close to the end of Q3. And the last week or so has been miles busier than the environment we were dealing with in early September Particularly at FX. And when I take a look at key FX market indicators, I'll start with the big dollar. The BBDXY is on the verge of making a new high for the year. The DXY has already done so, having traded at 93.80 earlier today. So, issues. It's difficult to nail down one specific issue for the rally in the dollar, Greg. And that's often the case. So, why don't we use this time to have a work through a number of the potential drivers of this move in the dollar? Does that sound good?
0: Great idea to create a list when thinking about FX, politics are often a key driver alongside economics. So let's start the list with politics. Stephen, euro is the biggest element in all of the various U.S. dollar indices. So if the dollar is up, that pretty much always means euro is down. And that brings me to Sunday's German election. Stephen, what's your take on the political situation in Germany and the eurozone now? And do you think that political uncertainty is what has the euro on the threshold of this year's low. And I guess let's call this item number one for our list.
1: Greg, you know, I think political uncertainty in Germany at the moment is reasonably high because there are at least three possible outcomes we could see lawmakers arrive at in terms of the formation of a new government. I suppose as an outlier, we could include a fourth possible scenario where no government is able to be formed. And then we're really in a state of extended political limbo in Germany. But I don't think this is having a dramatic impact on the euro. If I just rewind for a moment, what FX investors were, I think, most worried about ahead of the exit polls on Sunday evening German time was a definitive lurch to the left in German politics, which could have yielded a left-wing coalition involving just the SPD and the Greens, with support from Germany's far-left fringe party, Die Linke, or a full coalition involving all three of these parties. But on actual vote share and seat allocation results in the lower house, that does not seem likely. So I really don't think FX markets are trading German political risks with this move lower in euro dollar as much as they are trading other factors. I think the strength we've seen in the DXY, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, I think it's largely a dollar move. And I think there's a big risk appetite element to it. Speaking personally, I think the uncertainty over the outlook for inflation in developed economies is a key component of the deterioration risk appetite. But I'll park that for the time being. And what I'll do is just take listeners through a brief look at the euro cross rates for September 28th in terms of their changes from Yesterday's closing level, Euro Canada, higher. Euro Aussie, that's higher. Euro Sterling, that's higher. Euro Kiwi, higher. And a decent chunk of Euro EM is trading higher. This tells me that the moves in currency markets today related to the euro are not so much linked to domestic European factors but I think risk appetite ones. All those currency pairs I mentioned during periods of improving risk appetite, those are pairs where short euro positions are generally favored. So let me turn to you, Greg. As domestic German political risks are, I think, a relatively low impact factor for FX markets right now, how do you think Japanese political uncertainty
0: is playing out in the foreign exchange markets? Before moving on to Japanese politics, let me just sum up your answer to item number one on our laundry list. German political uncertainty is not a major reason for the dollar being at this year's high. Let's call Japanese political uncertainty item number two on our laundry list. And I'll start by saying that dollar yen came within two pips of setting a new 18-month high just earlier this morning. And that high comes within a day of the LDP leadership vote that will occur in the Japanese afternoon on Wednesday. The LDP will pick a new leader to replace Prime Minister Suga, who has needed to step down because he hasn't put the LDP on good footing ahead of the parliamentary elections. So what will happen is that the LDP leader will be selected tomorrow, and it's kind of a formality, but will be elected on the floor of the Diet on Monday, October 4th. But whoever that new prime minister is, We'll have to almost immediately announce the date of the parliamentary election, which seems most likely to land on November 28th, but at any rate will be in November. And while the LDP is probably in the best spot to keep their new guy, Orgal, as prime minister after the parliamentary election, that is far from a sure thing. So look, for most currencies, this kind of uncertainty would be a big deal and would probably lead to something like a 2 to 5% discount in the currency. But for the yen, given Japan's massive net creditor position, there just aren't very many foreign investors that need to hedge their Japanese political exposure. So I honestly don't think the politics have much to do with dollar yen being where it is. Actually, I think the fact that Brent rose above $80 a barrel earlier today is probably a bigger story because energy is far and away Japan's biggest import. So let's make high energy prices item number three on our laundry list. Stephen, it sort of seems like this latest move higher in oil started with natural gas prices in Europe. Do you think that high energy prices are weighing on the euro? Oh, and Swissy and Swedish, etc.
1: Yes, Craig, And I think the energy and commodity price developments feed through to the major European currencies with a negative impulse via multiple avenues, I'd say three avenues. First of all, they're a growth headwind. That's pretty clear. The second avenue is that energy imports are a key component of the balance of payments, and typically, higher energy prices yield wider trade deficits or smaller trade surpluses. And three, that's the channel of monetary policy. And where I'm going with this is that the third avenue as I think where things get really tricky because high commodity prices and supply side shortages in general are a really difficult environment for central banks to navigate through because they can't really influence the supply side. They have no control over that at all. And they have to hope That their rhetoric and some degree of call it policy normalization will help keep inflation expectations anchored. And I think where we are now is that FX investors are doing their best to factor in what it will mean to have an inflation overshoot that potentially sticks around for longer than previously thought while. Uh, An earlier situation involving excess demand reverts to its pre-pandemic norm, or basically a situation we like to refer to as trend growth. So my opinion is that what this strength in the dollar versus key European currencies indicates is that FX investors are discounting a situation in which central banks either do too little and higher prices weaken demand on their own, or a situation in which central banks do too much in terms of tightening credit and demand weakens anyway. And I'd argue that this is where we are right now in terms of the thought process some investors are going through.
0: Stephen, good point with central banks grappling with stagflation. A key chapter in Central Banker 101 has the idea that you don't raise rates because an oil price shock has triggered inflation. But what about QE? Personally, I think you do wind down QE when faced with an energy price shock. But more importantly, it appears that is what the Fed is thinking. So that brings me to the 10-year yield spike since the FOMC last Wednesday. I've got the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury yield up 22 basis points since basically an hour before last Wednesday's meeting. And the 10-year benchmark Canadian government yield is also up 22 basis points. So Stephen, how about 10-year gilt and boon yields? What has their move been since pre-FOMC?
1: Well, Greg, so from the close last Wednesday, which would have been just before the Fed rate decision, the 10-year boon yield is up a little over 12 basis points, I think, over that time frame, And the equivalent maturity UK sovereign yield, that's up by about 20 basis points. So in other words, the move in this measure of longer term UK yields has been roughly on par with the US and Canadian moves while longer-term rate differentials have moved in favor of the USD relative to the euro based on the size of the sell-off in bunds.
0: So if I can summarize where I think the market thinks we are on taper, the RBNZ has ended its bond purchases and is on the verge of a rate hike. The BOC is most of the way through taper. The RBA has taken its first taper step, but will pause until February before taking another. And Powell says the Fed will end its taper in the middle of next year. For the ECB, Lagarde said the lady will not taper. So that is probably what bond and FX markets are pricing in. But what's really interesting to me here is that the behavior of the FX market in this little 25 basis point 10-year yield spike over the last week is different than during the 90 basis point 10-year yield spike that we saw back in Q1. In that episode, Aussie, CAD, Kiwi, they all rallied as their 10-year yields spiked alongside U.S. 10-year yields. But this time around, Aussie, CAD, and Kiwi are falling, both against the dollar and against euro, as you noted, Stephen.
1: Great. You made some really great points there. So do you have a rationale for why these commodity block currencies are falling now as opposed to rallying? during Q1, when we had the last spike in long-term
0: yields? You hit on risk aversion at the outset, Stephen, and I think that may be the key distinction. While the Q1 yield spike eventually got so big that it led to risk aversion, the first 50 basis points or so of it were based on global growth optimism. For this last week's yield spike, I'm not so sure that the main culprit isn't risk aversion tied to the U.S. fiscal impasse, that we are likely to see turn into high drama over the next few weeks.
1: Okay, Greg. So in light of the link you're drawing between risk appetite, the U.S. fiscal situation, and the move in longer-term yields, can you take me through the key issues
0: related to the ongoing debt ceiling drama in the U.S.? To understand the debt ceiling drama, I think we need to back up to several months ago. Acting on more of a bipartisan basis, the Senate passed what I will call a roughly $1 trillion, quote-unquote, hard Infrastructure package that was negotiated with House leaders. However, the House Democratic leadership also promised to progressives in the House that they wouldn't vote on the package until the Senate approved a much bigger, three ish trillion dollar, quote unquote, human infrastructure package that we still haven't seen the bill detailing yet. Progressives in the House have threatened that they won't pass the hard infrastructure bill if Democratic moderates in the Senate don't pass the human infrastructure bill. This has sort of led to the two wings in the Democratic Party trying to wait each other out. But in the middle of the waiting, the treasuries run up against the debt ceiling. This creates a deadline that I assume will force resolution one way or the other on the infrastructure packages. It also probably creates a leverage tool that advantages the Democratic moderates. And I think that's probably why the Republicans in the Senate have refused to uh, help in passing a debt ceiling extension. I think we're likely to see roughly three to four weeks of intense negotiation and then the passing of a compromise, smaller human infrastructure package alongside the hard infrastructure package. And alongside that, we will get the extension of the debt ceiling and maybe the nomination of the Fed chair which is also entangled in any negotiation between Democratic moderates and progressives. But just to reiterate, that's a lot of ground to cover over the span of a few weeks. And I'm not sure that everything will turn out fine in, say, four weeks from now, let alone seem like it's going to turn out fine two weeks from now.
1: So you know what, Greg? It looks to me anyway, like your number five item, the fiscal impasse, carries the biggest weight in our list of five different factors behind this move up in the US dollar. Is that about right?
0: Yeah, I think that's about right, Stephen. Other than I would also elevate the oil price rally as being parallel or at least number two of the items on our five item list.
1: Well said, Greg. I think we used up all of our available time and this is where we should end episode 20. So thank you to our listeners As always, and we hope you'll join us again for episode 21. That's a wrap.
0: Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear
1: what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider.
0: This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative.
2: This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation, together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified,